Herzlich willkommen zum On the Way to New Work Podcast. Und bevor es heute losgeht, begrüßen wir unseren heutigen Werbepartner O2. Und zwar geht es um ein ganz konkretes Projekt von denen, das nennt sich O2 Connect, das gibt es schon länger. Diejenigen von euch, die eine O2 Flatrate haben, die kennen das. Es gibt, ich glaube, für knapp 30 Euro im Monat 10 GB, könnt ihr nutzen auf eurer SIM-Karte. Und was sie jetzt anbieten ist, neun SIM-Karten, die ihr bekommt, die ihr dann auf verschiedensten Geräten nutzen könnt. Das heißt, ihr könnt diese Daten-Flatrate auf einmal auf eurer Smartwatch nutzen, einen GPS-Tracker nutzen, auf dem Modem, was ihr unterwegs habt, nutzen oder vielleicht habt ihr noch ein altes Zweithandy rumliegen, mit dem ihr dann einen Hotspot machen könnt. Perfekt. Ich kenne das Ganze tatsächlich, weil wir ja auch bei Blackboard extrem viel unterwegs sind und äh, unser Kameramann MP dann eben auch sein Handy in der Tasche hat, ich ein Handy in der Tasche habe. Das heißt, einer macht irgendwie immer einen Hotspot an und wir nutzen den und das wäre dann tatsächlich jetzt vorbei, dieses Akkuverbrauchen von dem einen Handy, was man hat. Sehr coole Sache. Schaut mal nach unter o2.de slash connect, da findet ihr mehr Infos. Welcome to the On the Way to New Work podcast and it's still the New York tapes. That's why this is in English with Michael Trautmann and Christoph Magnussen. And we have a very special guest today. It's Lee Carraher. We met in Hamburg at That's right. EO Talk. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having us in your corporate apartment. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming. I'm sorry I was late. That's okay. Well, That's perfectly fine. You, <laughs> well, you, you have a good view. What did the guy downstairs say? A, a fashionable New York? I'm fashionably New York late. Ah, I love But there's that. there's late and there's rude. And I think I was almost on the rude side. And I mean, your, your, speci <laughs> your specialty are millennials and the yes. young generation. So, uh, and they're never on time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, give us a quick introduction so that everyone who was not at the great talk that you gave, that mm -hmm. actually was the inspiration to play, mm -hmm. meet you here in New York. Um, what do you do? What's your background? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the founder and CEO of Double Forte. Double Forte is a public relations and influencer marketing firm. We're headquartered in San Francisco, but I spend about a third of my time here in New York, which is why you're here. Um, and I started that company about 16 years ago after, you know, my whole career has been in this business. And we do, we work with clients who are in the consumer lifestyle, the digital life, so video games, AR, VR, and some professional services. Um, I have started, uh, the other part of my business is culture and helping companies and people just be much better at creating teams that work well together. And I started this because I failed miserably at it, <laughs> like epically failed at uh, bringing younger people into my company and having them stay. So a hundred percent failure. So when we had, I'd never had a hundred percent failure in my life, in my career, <laughs> it's devastating. And I, you know, I think one, we lost eight people within um, eight people only stayed for less than three months, all at the same time. Oh, right. Uh, one could be a bad hire, but all eight could not have been a bad hire. So we just looked at ourselves and like, what, what are we doing wrong? When we investigated it, it was all negative. There's nothing positive you could find about working with young people or millennials. I didn't know what a millennial was uh, at the time. And I decided to ignore it all and just figure it out for myself, for my own company. Um, a lot of trial and error, lots and lots of interviews, not even thinking I'd write a book about it. Um, and then that became part of the work that we're doing in the company because all of our clients are having this problem and it's a communication problem. 
It basically is a communication problem, right? And that's what we do. We're communicators. So um, they all asked me to write a book, so I did. And then uh, that's Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, which, you know, they made me have Millennials in Management as a title, and I got to have the Making It Work at Work part. Um, and then my second book came out last year. It's called The Boomerang Principle, How to Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees When They Don't Even Work for You. So that's really sort of like half my, half my job today, half my work, half my income is based on that work around culture and then running the firm. And I brought a number two in so they could do that. So the, the second part where you wrote this book, yeah. are, are you there a one-man show or are you, uh, do you have people who support you there? On well? the book? Yeah. Oh, I have a sister. Well, you talked yeah. to him today. Mm -hmm. I have people who help me on that. I've hired, I hired someone outside of my agency so it wouldn't be conflated um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I could run it pretty clean. But yeah, I have help. Yeah. So maybe we, we take it from there. We sure. start. What, what, what did you learn about millennials? What, oh what was gosh. the, what, I mean, communication is mm -hmm. a big topic. So I learned, so millennials to, uh, millennials have been reclassed, but let's just think about millennials as people who are 20, 22 to 36, basically, in that range. And. <laughs> oh, 36? I'm still a millennial. You're a millennial. Yes. It doesn't mean anything bad, it And just means how old you are. <laughs> right? And um, I learned that a lot of things. I learned that they're not lazy. I learned that they're not entitled. I learned that they um, aren't rude. I learned that they can work hard. I learned all these things. All the terrible things that millennials, you know, they are lazy. They don't work hard. They're entitled. They expect trophies for showing up. Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> they, uh, and that's our fault, right? Um, all, these, all these stereotypes uh, basically went into figuring out, you know, they kept popping up in all the research. So I just went one by one. I said, what's true and what's not? Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the problems millennials have is about Gen Xers, so 37 to 54 years old today. I'm sorry, 53 years old today. And boomers, 54 to 69 years old today, they have their own issues, right? Um, and at the time when millennials were coming into the workplace was when the economy was just obliterated, right? And so we aren't happy ourselves. And then these young people are like, don't I get to go to yoga, right? <laughs> and why don't I have work-life balance? And um, uh, there's so much disappointment in most boomers excuse me, in most boomers' careers and their, their earning potential in the 2010, 2011 time, that it got projected onto this younger um, cohort. And that younger cohort is huge. It's twice the size of the Gen X in almost every country. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if you're disappointed about your own situation and you have a younger colleague who's uh, pretty fast and knows stuff and can work pretty quickly, yeah, it's going to be a little tough. <laughs> So I think a lot of it was that. <coughs> I also learned, sorry, one thing. I also learned that um, when you create a culture where millennials can thrive, then boomers and Xers and, and Zs now, they all, mm -hmm. Zs, they all thrive too. But when you don't, it, the reverse is not necessarily true. Yeah. I have my water here. No, no problem. No I problem. have your own. <laughs> so we, 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 we had one... Very young guy, I don't know, 15 years old, what is this? This is... Zed. Zed, yeah, he, yeah, for sure. He, he was 15, still in high school, and he hey, 
Well, he still has a, an, his own agency for influencer marketing <laughs> yep. for the Generation Z. Yep. And he was just working half day because half day he's he in school. To go to school right? And then he told, <laughs> he told us, yeah, well, I'm not very good, well organized. I, I say too many times, I say yes. And so I, I hired a PA for me. And we asked him, and how old is your PA? 15 as well. And said, who's the managing director of your company? Because you're not allowed in yep. Germany to, to run a company. Uh, it's, it's a lawyer. She's, she's a good friend of my mom, but I own the company. Uh, but he was so smart and we really mm -hmm. had such a nice conversation and then I in my agency I have I really have the feeling we um we we we, we have a good relation to them but but all the stereotypes mm -hmm. you were telling about it's is in the in the media and the press um Simon Sinek did this oh, yeah. little movie about them maybe mm -hmm. there's some things true but but I have the the feeling so I have two two boys 22 and 19 and and especially the older one because he's now he's now finishing his his bachelor he he has so many ideas he's so focused he was uh, yeah. he was really really tough uh, to handle during uh, high school yes. really tough but now he's really he's uh, thankful he's uh, mm -hmm. he's inspired and inspiring and so but but what what did you do out of this learning so what mm -hmm. did you change in your company yeah so we changed a few things we changed um we start everything with why why are we doing something context is king kong and when I started my firm, I only hired people who had 10 years of experience. So by definition, they knew a lot more. And then um, we hired young people. The economy collapsed. And I looked at the model. I'm like, that's not going to work anymore. We should need to hire young people, which I had done before in my career. I didn't think anything of it. And, um, you know, it used to work. Just do what I say. Doesn't work, right? Um, and of course, no one likes that. No one likes to be told just to do what you say. But boomers, you and I, right, much in the economy in the Western world was so huge. There was so much opportunity. You just waited your turn, right? Well, in a hierarchical world, which is what we grew up in, in the workplace, that works. You know, hierarchy is antithetical to the ex millennial experience, right? They're used to having so much control in their hands. I can get to anybody. I can make JetBlue go back to the gate, I can change United's plan, I can ch do all this just by letting people know, right? I can get to the impression that I can have any information. It's not true, but the impression I can get any information right in your hand. Um, and hierarchical businesses, the business model was to, you know, let people know when they needed to know. Well, now we have employees who probably may know more than we don't know about our own businesses because they know where to, to look, right? Just the just the, just the power of the internet so the um so first it was just learning not to just say do it because they would just do their own investigation and go oh that's not good right so that's number one um so now we put all of the context we start every project with here's why we're doing this project here's how it contributes to the vision here's how here's what we think a good ending is what do you guys think could be a better ending? You know, we ask for input. And uh, moving to a uh, culture where people, we ask a lot for input. And it's a high input, low democracy, right? You got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So you don't, these aren't votes people get. But they get to input. And every input influences a decision, right? Even if you don't enact. Like you might say, oh, we should do this. And I say, no, I'm not doing that. But the fact that you brought it to the table and was considered influences the decision um, and then doing the full circle so one here's the role here's the goal you know here's our goals what how can we improve this what are your ideas 
making a decision, and then going back to the team and going, here's how we're going forward. Here's why we decided to do this decision. You know, here's why we decided to do it this way. At the end of this, we're going to review it and see where we, what came through and what didn't, because no project ever comes the way you, know, you planned it and how we can improve. If you, one, give people the context of why they're doing something, everybody wants that. <laughs> Everyone can do a better job. They waste less time when they know why they're doing something. If you allow people to give them give ideas, they're already more invested. Even if you don't choose their ideas, but explain why, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It changes every it changes the chemistry, right? Um, and uh, you reduce friction, and that basically that's what we're talking about: reducing friction in it, right? Um, the other piece of that is making sure everyone knows that every job is important. Because a lot of millennials get a bad rap for saying, well, I just want to do it once and done. You know, check the box. I'm a master. Not really. You know, you got to get good at it, right? <laughs> um, and some of that is a, in this country at least, in the United States, some of that is a residual of the No Child Left Behind uh, um, education program, which was all about testing. And people would learn to the test and then forget it. And that has changed in the last few years, so Zeds are going to have a much easier time, frankly, than millennials did, because they're mastering topics. They're not just checking a box. Um, so helping people understand that is super important. What is, what is the No Child Left Behind? So No Child, it was an education program during the, Bush the second Bush administration, which was all about making, you know, the concept was if we test, if we have universal testing that um, was even, and tested aptitude, right, and knowledge that we could, everyone would rise. Well, what happened was that people, the test became sort of irrelevant to the topic and the skill. So people were just, kids were just like testing, 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 and uh, funding then from the government was withheld for, for schools that didn't improve their grades, their own testing scores. So uh, the reverse happened, basically. Mm -hmm. They were just learning to um, do stuff, mm. they learning material, not conquering it. Okay. So mm -hmm. what happened in universities, so University of California, Berkeley, one of the best institutions in this country, it's a public institution in um, California, um, they really one of the most exclusive schools in the country. Um, they started having to remediate 50% of their kids as freshmen, so their first year in university. 50% of their kids would go through writing and math classes about just to get to the basic level because they, they tested really well, but they hadn't mastered the concepts. So part of the last administration was unpacking, the, you know, the, the intention of No Child Left Behind was not that, obviously, but the how it got implemented created that dynamic. So then you had all these kids who got into work who didn't have to master anything, get their work done, right? And uh, I'm done. Not really. Like, you have an agency. I can't send that to the client. It's not done. I was an A student. This is good work. <laughs> Actually, it's not good work, right? <laughs> and um, part of the, another uh, consequence of that time period was that grade inflation um, uh, in the last... 15 years, 16 years, has increased by a full point. So I don't know how it works in Germany, but in the United States, you know, you, a 4.0, 4.0 used to be perfect, mm -hmm. an A plus. Mm -hmm. Now you can get a 5.0 on 
on a 4.0 scale. So the whole, so a B, so uh, 82, now is a 92. Mm -hmm, but then you get into the real world and 82 is an 82, right? So they're used to having Bs where they should have had Cs. Okay. They're yeah. used to having As where they should have had Bs, right? They get into the real world and we're not happy with the work product and they've never been really criticized. They're, they've never gotten that feedback before that their work wasn't good enough. And how, how, did, how did they react? I mean, oh, when, terribly. Yeah. It's such an affront. Mm -hmm. It's such an affront. Like, what do you mean? I'm an A, you know, you chose me because I have a, you know, 4.7 great GPA and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but your work sucks. Mm -hmm. And so much, there's a lot, if you do it well, if you tell people, you know, you, you, that, was a good, that was a good try. You got a long way to go. We're going to help you get there. But that's not what usually happens, right? When you, this sucks. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to redo your work? If you're already feeling upset about the fact, you know, <laughs> So a lot of the negativity was around that. How do you handle it then, like feedback-wise in the company? Like, do you imp mm -hmm. implement something around it to like give certain ways of feedback or feedback? You can't give enough feedback for millennials, right? So ex um, setting the expectation that you're going to get a lot of feedback um, from the beginning is one. They request it's a f one of the first requests is that they want more feedback. Um, but two, not letting them be wrong very long. <laughs> This is a generation that was never wrong. You know, everybody wins soccer. Do you have that in Germany? Right? Everybody wins soccer. Well, a kindergartner, a five-year-old knows who won. Mm -hmm. It's bullshit. You know, everyone wins soccer. Um, great, you know, participation trophies. You, here you go. My son, who's a, my older son, who's 20 now, and my younger son's 17, so almost the same age. He's a musician. He's getting his, um, he's getting a degree for music. And, He played soccer, your football, and he got trophies like bigger than his head, and he sucked. I mean, he was terrible, right? He hated it, <laughs> hated soccer. Like he, it would say, you know, I knew he was terrible at soccer when I said, Michael, get the ball. And he was like, it's not my turn. I'm like, oh my God, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, which I played, you know, I played um, athletics in college. And I was like, oh my God, what do you mean it's not your turn? So, but he, you know, but he got more medals and more trophies for his soccer than he did for what he's really good at, music. So it was meaningless to him. But here, parents have invested all this money in, you know, everybody with soccer and participation trophies and pictures. It doesn't mean anything to these kids. It really doesn't. But over time, it sets the expectation that if I show up on time, I'm going to get rewarded. No, we expect you to show up on time. Showing up is not like a skill. Right? <laughs> it's not a skill. But they've been treated that way. We have, it's not their fault that they have that expectation. How did your older <coughs> colleagues uh, react on the millennials? Uh, <laughs> did they follow your path immediately or did you have a, a second? Uh... Not everybody. Um, you know, I came to the conclusion, you know, once we changed the model. So I started the company in 2002 at the last downturn in San Francisco, out of the dot-com you know, implosion, uh, and which created a different kind of opportunity where you could hire really expensive people for like a dollar for nothing, right? And that was a lot of opportunity. And then this implosion, um, re it really became very clear to me that the model that we had going into that, uh, into that period, 2008, 2009, was not, it was, You know, in general, a business model in that period is not going to survive the same way, 
right? And you see in our, in my business in PR, we see all these agencies, big publicly traded agencies, just struggling with the fact that they can't change their business model because they have to return to the street. So being independent is really nice because you have so much more flexibility there. So when you change your business model, a lot of our older employees, they're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I've worked really hard not to have to do that. Like, well, you know, nothing, at the same time, nothing has changed more than how we communicate. So my business has changed, right? We, we started my company before Twitter, before Facebook, before LinkedIn, before Instagram, and now half of our business on social media. But a lot of our older employees, not a lot, several of our older employees didn't want to learn that, didn't want to, like, I just do this. Well, no one just does this anymore, yep. you know? And layered that into the millennial, you know, why do these kids get to say, you have to have a say, well, if you don't have a business, if you have a business without a millennial or a Z today, you don't have a future in your business. How, but how I figure, and we're all going to work longer. Most of us, entrepreneurs or not, are going to work much longer because we're all living longer. Today, if you're born in the, in the United States today, if you're born 2018, there's a 50% chance you're going to live to 105. If you're living to 105, you're not retiring at 60. That's 45 years you have to fund. Well, our economy in, the, in this country is not going to be able to fund that out of the government. We're going to have to work much longer, you know? So we're going to be lucky. <laughs> you guys, working longer. <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm interested in, uh, like, millennial skills or younger generation skills because, like, for example, we also have Generation Z working uh, in, in our yeah. company and we learn a lot and i see that especially the younger ones now are getting more disciplined back yes. like compared to the millennials for example mm -hmm. but both generations have very strong opinions when it comes to social media and how all this changed that's not only about like learning like like t i i just realized when you said 36 i'm still a millennial okay like <laughs> i learned from videos like mm -hmm. a lot from videos and skipping through that and yep. like diving into a topic um, I can skip paper. I don't care too much about paper. Right. I'm happy with You're the screen. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably one of them. I like paper. Yeah, I like so, paper as well. So, um, how good are they in like learning new stuff, adapting to new stuff, mm -hmm. and then like, what are the, the the advantages having a millennial in the team? Yeah, I think there are a lot of advantages to having a millennial in the team. Um, so I'll tell you the first time. <laughs> I had a millennial, and I said, send me the draft of something, and they sent me a Google link. I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't know what it was. I really I had no clue what it was. I'm like, where's my piece of paper? I'm like, here it is, right here, Lee, right here. Just click on that. I'm like, click. And there's like seven people in this document, all these yeah. different colors. They're chatting on the <laughs> side. I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to work. Right? <laughs> um, I have people who have never printed out a piece of paper before they come to work with me. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Right? That is cool. That is cool. Right? Never print out a piece of paper. So at the same time, the tactile is super important in our world, right? It's a cool headline for... for <laughs> so, truly, yeah. right? Never print it out. They don't and, know how to use... I get it. I get it. I mean, I totally get it. I mean, I have clients... They never use underline. I'm like, yeah. just push a little button that says you there, you know? So, because they don't have to. So, <laughs> um, you know, if you're on legacy systems, man, it's hard, right? You train them backwards, yeah. right? So I think a few things. So what I notice um, between y um, younger millennials and older Zeds, so 24, mm -hmm. 25, that split right mm -hmm. there, is that group is much more disciplined than the sort of the older 
the yeah. mid-range millennials, so the people under 30 to 25, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they first came into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, much more disciplined, very focused. Same, um, uh, more, more mastery than just one and done. So I love that. I want people to be masters, right? Um, and the millennials, once they, you know, have, in my business at least, once they come into our culture and we, we show them what mastery means and what they can get from mastery, then it's, it's not a problem after they get used to it. Um, but in terms of on social media, we have a challenge. This is a challenge for us um, with our millennials. They want their social media for our clients to resemble what they want in their own social media. Mm. And we have to really force the fact that it's not about you, <laughs> right? And they are—they grew up with it. It's, it's native to them. Yeah. They—they had Twitter, you know, a long time. Um, and they're like, "Well, that's not how Twitter works." Well, it does for a fifty-year-old. It works that way. Or Instagram. Well, I wouldn't put that in my feed. It's not about you, right? <laughs> Just because it's social media doesn't mean, right? But in terms of being adept at it and being very clear about how the platforms work. I mean, I find this is very challenging, particularly for older people. They're like, oh, just put the same thing up, right? Put the same thing on Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, and Twitter, and a millennial and a Z would just go, never do that. Because they all have a different purpose. They all have a different gestalt, right? Mm-hmm. So, there's an EO word. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important. I mean, yeah. like, we, we, may, we put a lot of effort. I sometimes just use the same stuff, but very, very rarely. And, like, we do different content in different channels. Yeah, and that's yeah. the reason why. So that's I love the that. Reason why. I love gestalt in, in that term. <laughs> because you can see when you actually, and, and a millennial will look at it and go, this is not going to work. Mm. And I looks fabulous, you know? <laughs> um, and what's also good, uh, thank you, on that, they're much better at data. Mm. They're used to having feedback, yeah. mm. data. They it's measure. not working, not working. Yeah. Not wor- it's not working, you know, kind of stuff. A-B testing. And the- well, if you think about it, they've had apps since they were this high. They've been, you know, so the, a big difference, there's two big differences. Well, there's probably more than that. One is this idea, this culture of continual improvement, putting imperfect products into the marketplace that we will give to technical ones digital ones that we will improve over time you and i never had that we had cds or cartridges if you're that old right and you ne- you tried never to get a bad gold master into the marketplace because it cost you so much now people don't even finish products right they put two le- in the video game business they put two or three levels in and they build it over time yeah. so what people liked yeah this is foreign you know but the expectation of tinkering and my feedback matters to the product built in because they've had it. They've been able to say, I found a bug, get $10, whatever. This is, this is not how we grew up, right? Not be ha- at all. Um, and I think that's one piece. And then the idea of time shifting, you know, so when TiVo and DVRs came to the marketplace, we were so excited about TV being shifted. But uh, Zs and, or Zs, and millennials have this concept of all time is shiftable, right? And all time is not shiftable. And if you're working together on teams, that's where really a breakdown in, in time shifting happens. Because it used to be you had to show up between, in our country, 9 to 5. Not anymore. We all work around the world, you know. But things are due at a certain time for a reason. And the, today, people, the only thing people watch really live on television is sports, right? Um, 
but you, not everything can be time shifted, right? The idea of like end of day, do you have that concept in Germany? Like give it to me at the end of day. Well, that mean, used to mean five o'clock. Well, today it means 11.59.59 in whatever time zone I live in. <laughs> well, if I don't say what exactly where I fit, so I'm today in New York, tomorrow I'll be in San Francisco, I need something, I need to have something in my inbox by the time I touch down in San Francisco tonight. So I'm gonna have to, I have to tell people 10 exactly. p.m. Pacific, yeah. right? So that they know that, so New York, it's extra three hours. Make something happen, but if you don't say the time zone, you're screwed today, mm -hmm. right? You're absolutely screwed because my work is dependent. None of us are in a vacuum anymore. We, a lot of us, as individual contributors, used to be totally in a vacuum. There's no one in a vacuum. No What's, one's in a vacuum. I'm, I'm like when you say you communicated to them uh, and you give the time. For example, what are most effective communication channels from your experience in that generation? Because like mm -hmm. we're used to like so many different channels yeah. and we all have preferred ones but like what yeah did you find so i out? think it's imp what we tested a few things and so we have email and we use slack mm -hmm. and we have phones and we have text <laughs> and we have all that stuff so for us um we decided that all client work that would have to, could be affordable would be an email um Anything that was inconsequential, well, consequential but not dependent, goes into Slack as uploads, so it keeps the email cleaner. The more we can un free up our email, the better it is. So we upload a lot into Slack now. It took a while to get used to Slack because people were going in there and never coming out. I'm like, where are you guys? Um, but if it's like I'm Slack, <laughs> chatter, chatter, mm -hmm. yeah. putting it all on Slack together so people could see the whole thing was super effective. Mm -hmm. And they, it, I, it was harder for me to get used to, but it was natural. Sort of the whole idea of having a Google Doc with 19 people talking at the same time. I don't like it. So, um, and then emails, things that you want to keep for posterity, things that, because you can find it in Slack, but it's just really hard to navigate. Um, all client communication, any partner communication stays in email um, with as few attachments as possible, right? If you need to reach somebody, you pick up the phone and no one answers, but, they see, <laughs> but then they see that you've called because um, uh, we have this do not call thing here. It's just totally ineffective. So a lot of, they do the ghosting of the area code. So a lot of sales calls, a lot of, a lot of scam calls um, or you text but don't put it in Slack because some people uh, turn their Slack off during certain hours, which is my expectation is that, because a lot of people work, if we have time shifted work, people are working all the time. We have bi-coastal teams, teams in different area codes. You only have one area code in Germany, right? Time zone. Time zone, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, have yeah, four yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, pe we have, my company, small, 35 people, we have, we have people in three time zones. Right. So, People yeah, yeah. put on their Slack notifications on Z, you know, Z, sleep, um, so that they're not constantly pinged. So if we need somebody for an emergency, we use text. Yeah, we have so we've had to be really specific about mm -hmm. how to use things. Um, there's sometimes there's channel confusion on that, um, but after you, you have to keep reinforcing it, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah, we have different time zones in people. 
<laughs> See, time shifting, yeah, right? Yeah, time shifting in people, I just realized it. I know, like, I'm very early and then others are later, but work later, so they mm -hmm. choose their time. Right. Yeah. So, so what led you from, from your work uh, or your, your your book project, Millennials to Boomerang? I, 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 find, yeah. I, I find the title is amazing. It, it promises so much, so yes. I, I will have to read it. So, um, I may have a copy here. I'll leave If I do, I'll give it to you. Um, uh, well, so the first book fell into my lap. Uh, literally, I was talking to the publisher about something totally different. She had a pro we got interrupted by somebody, and she was rolling her eyes. And I, oh, what's the problem? And oh, this millennial, oh my god! Like, and I said, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And we're talking, and she goes, I will publish that book. I'm like, well, what book are you talking about? I don't have a book. Yeah, you do. That millennial book. And I'd always wanted to write a book, a business book. I'm more interested in the second book topic, but this book like just happened. I didn't have to get an agent. I mean, there. So I just wrote it, right? Um, uh, the second book is more about the future. So that was is very tactical. The first book is very tactical. Like do this, do that, don't do this. Like don't be. Don't be. How oh. to survive? How to survive? Like how to make it work, right? Yeah. Like how to say thank you. Teams that feel appreciated, outperform those that don't. This may not be a German concept, but saying please and thank you actually makes people more efficient. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know what the research is in other countries, but in this country, the research is definitive on that. Up to 30%. So that's just profit, mm. right? So that was very tactical. People need, you know, very tactical. The second book is more about the future of work on thinking about talent long-term. So... If we're all going to be working longer, so we're all going to be working longer, number one. The other trend is that millennials and Zs, uh, they know they're going to have to work longer and they are not interested in doing the same thing for their whole lives. It sounds really boring. And they know that they've seen it. They've seen their parents and their brothers and sisters be disrupted entirely. So they have, there's a definitely a, a notion of I have to keep learning. I have to keep adapting. I will not have the same job for um, 10 years. Agencies are really good at this because we have to change other ways to go out of business, yeah. right? And business is true for that too. But in, in general, agencies, if you're ahead of the market, are forced that way. So the boomerang, um, it came out because when I went around the country and I was talking about millennials, I would always get people who raised their hand. I was always a, Z, um, a Gen X or a boomer and said, you know, these they don't stay, they don't stay very long. And uh, I'm like, why would they? You're not treating them very well, right? Because mm -hmm. you're you're imposing all these anti, you know, these hierarchical things on this group that doesn't understand hierarchy. Um, and your their parents have told them don't stay in a job very long, and they want to matter, and and and. Um, and so there's a the philosophy of well, if they're not going to stay, I'm not going to train. Well, then you just got the crap standing behind you. I mean, right? Um, and or and or, um, when they leave me, they're dead to me. This is a, particularly for boomers, a big uh, theme. Don't, if you're disloyal if you leave me in my company. Well, of course, when we, we're just upset that they've left on their own schedule, not on when we wanted them to leave, really, right? And, uh, um, you know the TV show Mad Men? Mm -hmm, yeah, sure. so Mad Men, right? There's that whole, you never say thank you. Your paycheck is thank you. Well, that does not work anymore right because there's lots of opportunity people 15 year olds are starting their own agency right so uh, my 
and I would just go, no, right, no. If you, someone leaves you, you want them to come back to you. Every, every person who leaves you, because we're all our own media channels today, every person who leaves you can help you or hurt you. Do everything you can to help, have them help you, number one. And if you have them help you, maybe they want to come back. Because when they come back, so maybe they're not, they want to do something else, or they want to build their skills, or your company's going to the left, and they want to go to the right, or whatever, right? But it doesn't mean that in four years after they've been at that next company, they wouldn't be perfect to come back in a different role. If you say people are dead to you when they leave you, you are shrinking your t a possible talent pool dramatically. After you've already brought them in, after you've already decided they're good for your culture, after, after, after. So if you say instead, I hope you come back, right? First of all, no one expects it. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> right? But you're increasing your talent pool to choose from, right? Number one. You're also, if everyone who leaves you can hurt you or help you, um, people can be, you know, when you pay people, that's not a loyal act. Like if I come, show up to work, one, it's not a skill. But if I show up to work and I'm being paid, that's not loyalty. That's a transaction. You are paying me to show up. Loyalty is doing something for somebody that is not being paid, that is not expected, that is not, you know, there's no quid pro quo there. Loyalty is when I say, you know, I just met somebody you should hire. Let me, I'm going to call him right now. Oh my gosh, you met this great guy. You should hire him. I don't have to do anything. I just know that I worked for you. You would really like this person. I've just killed your recruiting fees. Yeah, that's cool. Right? When I was, I think, the first time uh, in Mountain View at Google headquarters, we, we had the chance to talk to the vice president of human resources, and they, well, he told us they, they measure everything. Yeah. And they, they measured out that uh, rehires are the best, uh, the best employees. Mm -hmm. He said, well, we, we looked into the data, and we, we, we realized that people who came back mm -hmm. um, for the second or third time yeah. stay longer, stay longer. Uh, Better performer, uh, yep. very good in culture, and mm -hmm. uh, and very thankful. Very because thankful. they realized on the other it's side of the fence, it, yeah. Right. And and so they they uh, installed a special uh, department for rehires. Mm -hmm. So it's you know McKinsey, um, McKinsey's a consulting firm. Mm. They are the gold standard. Absolutely, with the alumni. Alumni. Yeah. alumni, alumni, alumni. Every office has an alumni yeah. person. Yeah. Require you know. Um, and their alumni network, which every, I think we talked about this in Germany, uh, you know, if you were going to do one thing that could help you be sustainable business, it would be to establish your own corporate alumni program. Where are the people that used to work for you? How are you in touch with them? Do you even know what they're doing, right? Um, and creating a private network for them and then just being in regular communication with them, right? Um, This is the best thing you can possibly do for the sustainability of your business. You mentioned that in the talk, and I felt like, like I mean, it's so wrong not to do that. Yeah, like, but it is, it is a very new concept. I mean, mm. in this country, it was just, uh, what's your, uh, 20, early 2017 is when we tipped over. Before, in, two, in 2016, 51% of companies in this country either had a written policy or an understood policy not to rehire. Oh, 51%. wow. 51%. Wow. And that was so once you down. leave, you're out. Yeah, you're dead to me. Yeah. That's yeah. the concept, right? I just read an article about Jeff Bezos who said, well, everyone who, who uh, will leave, leaves us will get money if he signs uh, not to come back. And I said, well, what an idiot. But then I read it carefully and said, well, for him it's just a uh, sign that he wants people to test 
Uh, are you really loyal? You, you, yeah. do you, are you happy here? If not, I give you money. Um, and that came out of mm -hmm. their uh, mm -hmm. acquisition of Zappos. So yeah. Zappos mm -hmm. really started that with um, when you hi when they hire someone. I think in the first 90 days they will pay you to leave, mm -hmm. right? And they couldn't. I think when when Amazon acquired, I think this is true. When Amazon acquired Zappos, they he really was intrigued by that Tony um, Shea's thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and how to apply it to this, you know, company that has a hundred thousand people in it, you know. So. Yeah, uh, he pays a lot of money, like five thousand bucks or something. Yeah, up to like, five thousand bucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to refund it, right? If you if you do come back, <laughs> that's probably not true. But uh, PayPal, I'll tell you. So when my research for my second book, PayPal, if you come back within two years, you come back at your same level, meaning your same. I'm not maybe not your same level, your same benefit level. So I don't know how it works there, but. You know, in general here, unless you're in a um, everybody, you know, unlimited vacation schedule, which is really bad, um, you get your same tenure. So you will, uh, if you had... You don't lose your tenure. You don't lose mm -hmm. your tenure. So it means you don't lose earning more vacation mm -hmm. or earning towards your sabbatical. You know, maybe mm -hmm. you left it three years, but you don't have to start again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a huge incentive. Two years out, you're going to be more valuable if you come back. For sure. Yeah. How's that? Uh, you just mentioned that um, because we discussed it in some of the podcasts, the vacation policy, uh. remote, not remote, where yeah. to work, when to work. How's that? You know, it's so controversial. So in Silicon Valley, the um, in particular, the um, unlimited vacation is really popular. Well, it's popular because it's great for the P&L, <laughs> right? There's, the balance sheet's awesome. You're not accruing. Here, you have to accrue for vacation. Right, so if you eliminate having to accrue for vacation because everyone gets whatever they want, in theory, your balance sheet improves dramatically overnight. And for people trying to get to EBITDA so that they can either be acquired or go public, oh my God, it changes the game on the balance sheet. In practice, um, <clears throat> what we know is that people take less vacation when they have unlimited options. And particularly as they get older, they take less vacation because they're worried about Maybe they'll figure out they don't need me, right? So I have not, and then, so that's one way. Another way to do it is PTO, paid time off in this country. Mm -hmm. So you uh, you um, collapse vacation time and sick time into one big bucket, and you just take your time when you want it. Um, or you can have vacation time plus sick time. The sick time thing changes state by state and city by city, like the requirement. So in San Francisco, where we're headquartered nine days is required to give in sick time. So we give it to everybody. But New York, six days. So that's three extra days times a thousand people. Oh my gosh, right? Um, so in P so people move to PTO from vacation plus sick time to lessen the uh, accrual. Uh, and, I, uh, and then people move to unlimited to remove the accrual. <laughs> Right, and it's a balance sheet issue. More. From my perspective, it's a balance sheet issue more than anything else. Um, what I I keep both, and I probably will keep both because I want people to take vacation, and I don't want people coming to work or working when they're sick. So I I manifest that value by just doing that, right? Um, and if you move from vacation plus sick time to uh, collapsed PTO, in general, you shrink the number of days you offer by at least a week. So, you know, we, I mean, I, that's a hot, that's a hot topic. It comes up every freaking year. I'm like, okay, you want less? Sure. 
it's often for me. I'm gonna. I own the car. I don't have to come in. You know. <laughs> what do you expect in the next years? Um, well, maybe I should ask. What will be the book number three? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Working forever. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <Working forever. laughs> um, I think there's a book in there. Um, it's probably going to be around um, diversity, cultural diversity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I was really, ne I was never really. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a woman, and I'm in a business that is dominantly uh, agencies are 70% women in PR. It's never really been a topic for me, but um, the last American election sent me over the edge, and I've definitely become. I reason I was late was because I was at a speaking thing talking to young women about how to make sure they don't get in their own way, which I could care. I couldn't have cared less about two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, when, and I wasn't actually going to finish just so you know, I was gonna, wasn't going to finish my second book. I was like, I've got a book under my, I don't have to do this. I'm so freaking busy. And I watched the second, um, the second debate between our current president and the former secretary of state where He called her uh, a nasty woman. Wow, I never, I never imagined that I would be so inspired by that. And I got up off the couch and I went from my desk. My husband's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm going to finish my book," because there are not very many women who write business books, and if they do, they're self-help books. They're not about how to run a business, and um, there are fewer women entrepreneurs. All those numbers, right? I felt okay. Well, I, what I can contribute to this is writing a. a book about how to run a business from a female point of view not because it's female because I'm female and that would be helpful so um, I think between me too and time's up and all those things um, I've definitely been inspired by that um, to now drive it not just women men but also culturally because the millennial generation is the most diverse generation we've ever had in America mm. in terms of um, race, ethnicity, language, and that's only going to increase. I don't care what people say about the border. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. not going to go anywhere down. Um, and Zs are going to be more diverse. And if we don't understand um, how to work with different kinds of people, just their cultural experience, we're not going to have an option. We're not going to have opportunity. And if we all have to work longer, we need more opportunity. So that's what I'm, I mean, you can see what I'm focused on. Uh, so um, just how do we all work together? How do we appreciate different people? If you if you have the point of view that humans come to work, how do we can we all be human and achieve really good things together without a lot of friction? And I me mean, frankly, friction is drama. I don't care for it, and it also wastes money. And as a business owner, I'm all about frictionless profit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we always. Um What we always do it, it when it comes to the end of the podcast, we always want to know like where do you get your inspiration from? What do you read apart like yeah. writing your I own books? But like like yeah. there must be something. So what what would be your top five reads? My oh gosh, so I read a book every two weeks usually. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, probably I bought a, I buy a lot of books, and so f when I started this year, I was like, well, I got to read everything I bought last year and I didn't read right, so. Um, a few books I really like right now are Build an A-Team mm -hmm. by Whitney Johnson. Do you know her? You, you need to meet her. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic. Um, so Build an A-Team, um, A Friend of a Friend of a Friend of a Friend by David 
I can tell you all, but all about networking and how it's our network, our business networking is all about relationships. And it's better to have good relationships, even just if I just know you two, and three, sorry, uh, instead of 15 people. You know, mm-hmm. how, how's a friend of a friend work, uh, particularly in the digital age. Um, I read this book, um, I'm really interested in this book called Data, The Data Driven Leader, mm-hmm. about how every every job every work is data so learning how to analyze data and her point of view she's the head of um talent and education i guess for sap and her job is to figure out what we need what what does sap need in the next 10 years who are the people what are the skills because they're not getting perfect yeah they're not getting out right so in this country today there are five thousand five hundred thousand jobs open for steam so um, science technology engineering and math mm-hmm. uh, and art um and our universities only graduate about fifty thousand of those a year so Ooh. we're in a deficit of 450 right now we're never going to catch up yeah. right so she's thinking you know she's thinking and basically um uh and all the other things about you know, how long people are going to live, uh, AI, machine learning. And the key on, you know, her point of view is AI and machine learning, everyone's going to get disrupted. But the human is, AI is excellent in a very narrow application, but humans still have to connect the dots. Yeah. And the more we can learn how to in, uh, analyze data, right? So in my own company, I'm making sure everyone understands Excel again, you know, because... It's if you don't use Excel and no underst- crunch the numbers mm-hmm. and then figuring out what are the big trends and how do you connect big trends because that's what's going to be more important to our clients. So that's a data-driven book. Great. Cool. Data-driven li- leader. Right. Nice. We take a the two of books of you and then we have there five books. There you have five. Books. Books. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey, baby.